Chapter Three of Peter the Great. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Driver. Peter the Great by Jacob Abbott. Chapter Three, The Childhood and Youth of Peter, sixteen seventy seven to sixteen eighty eight. We must now go back a little in our narrative, in order to give some account of the manner in which the childhood and early youth of Peter were spent, and of the indications which appeared in this early period of his life to mark his character. He was only eighteen years of age at the time of his marriage, and, of course, all those contests and dissensions which, for so many years after his father's Alexis's death, continued to distract the family, took place while he was very young. He was only about nine years old when they began, at the time of the death of his father. The person whom Peter's father selected, to take charge of his little son's education, in the first instance, was a very accomplished general, named Menesius. General Menesius was a Scotchman by birth, and he had been well educated in the literary seminars of his native country, so that, besides his knowledge and skill in everything which pertained to the art of war, he was well versed in all the European languages, and, having travelled extensively in the different countries of Europe, he was qualified to instruct Peter, when he should become old enough to take an interest in such inquiries, in the arts and sciences of Western Europe, and in the character of the civilization of the various countries, and the different degrees of progress which they had respectively made. At the time, however, when Peter was put under his governor's charge, he was only about five years old, and consequently none but the most elementary studies were at that time suited to his years. Of course, it was not the duty of General Menesius to attend personally to the instruction of his little pupil in these things, but only to see to it that the proper teachers were appointed, and that they attended to their duties in a faithful manner. Everything went on prosperously and well under this arrangement, as long as the Tsar Alexis, Peter's father, continued to live. General Menesius resided in the palace with his charge, and he gradually began to form a strong attachment to him. Indeed, Peter, who was so full of life and spirit, and evinced so much intelligence in all that he did and said, and learned what was proper to be taught him at that age, with so much readiness and facility, that he was a favourite with all who knew him, that is, with all who belonged to or were connected with his mother's branch of the family. With those who were connected with the children of Alexis's first wife, he was an object of continual jealousy and suspicion, and the greater the proofs that he gave of talent and capacity, the more jealous of him these his natural rivals became. At length, when Alexis, his father, died, and his half-brother Theodore succeeded to the throne, the division between the two branches of the family became more decided than ever. And when Sophia obtained her release from the convent, and managed to get the control of public affairs, in consequence of Theodore's imbecility, as related in the first chapter, one of the first sources of uneasiness for her, in respect to the continuance of her power, 
was the probability that Peter would grow up to be a talented and energetic young man, and would sooner or later take the government into his own hands. She revolved in her mind many plans for preventing this. The one which seemed to her most feasible at first was to attempt to spoil the boy by indulgence and luxury. She accordingly, it is said, attempted to induce Menesius to alter the arrangements which he had made for Peter, so as to release him from restraint and allow him to do as he pleased. Her plan was also to supply him with means of pleasure and indulgence very freely, thinking that a boy of his age would not have the good sense or the resolution to resist these temptations. Thus she thought that his progress in study would be effectually impeded, and that, perhaps, he would undermine his health and destroy his constitution by eating and drinking, or by other hurtful indulgences. But Sophia found that she could not induce General Menesius to cooperate with her in any such plans. He had set his heart on making his pupil a virtuous and accomplished man, and he knew very well that the system of laxity and indulgence which Sophia recommended would end in his ruin. After a considerable contest, Sophia, finding that Menesius was inflexible, manoeuvred to cause him to be dismissed from his office, and to have another arrangement made for the boy, by which she thought her ends would be obtained. So Menesius bade his young charge farewell, not, however, without giving him, in parting, most urgent counsels to persevere, as he had begun, in the faithful performance of his duty, to resist every temptation to idleness or excess, and to devote himself, while young, with patience, perseverance, and industry to the work of storing his mind with useful knowledge, and of acquiring every possible art and accomplishment which could be of advantage to him when he became a man. After General Menesius had been dismissed, Sophia adopted an entirely new system for the management of Peter. Before this time Theodore had died, and Peter, in conjunction with John, had been proclaimed emperor, Sophia governing as regent in their names. The princess now made an arrangement for establishing Peter in a household of his own, at a palace situated in a small village at some distance from Moscow, and she appointed fifty boys to live with him as his playmates and amusers. These boys were provided with every possible means of indulgence, and were subject to very little restraint. The intention of Sophia was that they should do just as they pleased, and she had no doubt that they would spend their time in such a manner that they would all grow up idle, vicious, and good-for-nothing. There was even some hope that Peter would impair his health to such an extent by excessive indulgences as to bring him to an early grave. Indeed, the plot was so well contrived that there are probably not many boys who would not, under such circumstances, have fallen into the snare so adroitly laid for them and been ruined. But Peter escaped it. Whether it was from the influence of the councils and instructions of his former governor, or from his own native good sense, or from both combined, he resisted the temptations that were laid before him, 
and, instead of giving up on his studies and spending his time in indolence and vice, he improved such privileges as he enjoyed to the best of his ability. He even contrived to turn the hours of play, and the companions who had been given to him as mere instruments of pleasure, into means of improvement. He caused the boys to be organized into a sort of military school, and learned with them all the evolutions, and practised all the discipline necessary in a camp. He himself began at the very beginning. He caused himself to be taught to drum, not merely as most boys do, just to make a noise for his amusement, but regularly and scientifically, so as to enable him to understand and execute all the beats and signals used in camp and on the field of battle. He studied fortification, and set the boys at work, himself among them, in constructing a battery in a regular and scientific manner. He learned the use of tools, too, practically. In a shop which had been provided for the boys as a place for play, and the wheelbarrow with which he worked in making the fortification was one which he had constructed with his own hands. He did not assume any superiority over his companions in these exercises, but took his place among them as an equal, obeying the commands which were given to him, when it came to his turn to serve, and taking his full share of all the hardest of the work which was to be done. Nor was this all mere boy's play, pursued for a little time as long as the novelty lasted, and then thrown aside for something more amusing. Peter knew that when he became a man, he would be emperor of all Russia. He knew that among the populations of that immense country there were a great many wild and turbulent tribes, half-savage in habits and character, that would never be controlled but by military force, and that the country, too, was surrounded by other nations that would sometimes, unless he was well prepared for them, assume a hostile attitude against his government, and perhaps make great aggressions upon his territories. He wished, therefore, to prepare himself for the emergencies that might in future arise by making himself thoroughly acquainted with all the details of the military art. He did not expect, it is true, that he should ever be called upon to serve in any of his armies as an actual drummer, or to wheel earth and construct fortifications with his own hands, still less to make the wheelbarrows by which the work was to be done. But he was aware that he could superintend these things far more intelligently and successfully if he knew in detail precisely how everything ought to be done, and that was the reason why he took so much pains to learn himself how to do them. As he grew older, he contrived to introduce higher and higher branches of military art into the school, and to improve and perfect the organization of it in every way. After a while he adopted improved uniforms and equipments for the pupils, such as were used at the military schools of the different nations of Europe, and he established professors of different branches of military science, as fast as he himself and his companions advanced in years, and in power of appreciating studies more and more elevated. The result was that when, at length, he was eighteen years of age, and the time arrived for him to leave the place, the institution had become completely established, as a well-organized and well-appointed military school, and it continued in successful operation as such for a long time afterward.
It was a great measure in consequence of the energy and talent which Peter thus displayed, that so many of the leading nobles attached themselves to his cause, by which means he was finally enabled to dispose Sophia from her regency, and to take the power into his own hands, even before he was of age, as related in the last chapter. End of chapter 3